Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zaffert. Dr. William Meinecke is a historian at the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. He's the author of Nazi Ideology and the Holocaust, and he joined the Center to help create the Historical Atlas of the Holocaust and a multimedia learning site for students. His dissertation is titled Conflicting Loyalties, the Supreme Court in Weimar and Nazi Germany, 1918 to 1945. He was recently the guest of the Johannesburg Holocaust and Genocide Center, where he spoke on the topic, Deadly Medicine, Creating the Master Race. Dr. Monica, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you. I'm so enjoying being here in South Africa. It's my first time here in Johannesburg and it's just lovely. Oh, that's absolutely great to hear. Um, Dr. Monica, Deadly Medicine, what exactly is that? You know, I've thought about that as well, because when you hear deadly medicine, the first thing that comes to mind are the horrible medical experiments that certain Nazi doctors uh, did and do. And that's really not what the exhibition is about. It's included in the exhibition, of course, because it's part of the story. But the main focus are actually the broad sweep of the medical profession to see just how deeply they were embroiled in Nazi criminality. And it's just shocking. Because you can dismiss you know, Nazi doctors who are doing these medical experiments as somehow psychopaths. But ordinary people who are in the medical profession because they care to get involved in those kinds of criminality is really shocking. What, what percentage of ordinary men, and I'm assuming we're talking about men here, yes. um, were involved in Nazi medical practice? Well, it's, it, you know, to give you a great example... Um, no other profession besides the medical profession were as closely embroiled with the Nazi German state. Fully half of the medical profession had joined the Nazi party. Okay. It's partly it's because you know the Nazi German state valued medical opinion and really wanted to use medicine in the service of public health policy. And it's really where eugenics meets Nazi ideology. Right? The eugenics movement is really about perfecting humankind. It's almost a utopian vision of a healthier, more productive society through selective breeding. Well, the Nazis twist that into not betterment of mankind, but creating the master race that they then insist will dominate Europe and eventually the world. So in the near term, they have very similar goals and very similar ideas about public health policy. And then, indeed, the Nazis relied on German medical professionals and German scientists, and German scientists and German medical professionals relied on the Nazi German state for appointments and for um, money for public health. So Germany was trying to create a pure race, which meant they had to understand those who were so-called impure. Yes. So what was the research? Did they pull out? How did they go about doing their medical research? I, I tend to think of it as much more... Um, race hygiene was used to put a medical veneer, a rational veneer on individual prejudice. So many of these reflect the prejudices that were rampant in German society as a whole. And they just put, a, you know, scientific terminology in front of it. So I don't see it as legitimate rational science at all. All of the time, it was billed as cutting-edge science, that this was going to be a tool that would lead to the resurgence of German power and make Germany a factor in the world again. So you, in, in your talk, you spoke about the different kinds of people that were well, I, well, investigated? Well, inherent in eugenics and inherent in Nazi ideology are the classification of people into categories of fit and unfit. Okay. And within those two categories, it's fitter and less fit. 
So you know, at the very top of the hierarchy, um, both the you know, eugenicists, what the Germans call race hygiene, and Nazi ideology place Aryan Germans at the very top of that. They're the, considered the most gifted, the most talented, the creative people. Right. And at the very bottom of the spectrum, but again, both race hygienists or eugenicists and Nazi ideology, people who espouse Nazi ideology place Jews at the very bottom. So that they share in common. Right. And what kinds of research, what, in what way did ordinary doctors become involved in this research? Well, um, not just ordinary doctors, but also anthropologists and so, so, uh, social workers, that they really are doing studies. Anthropologists, for example, are deeply involved in this because part of the classification system was measuring the width of the face or the you know, width of the nose or the eye color or hair color, trying to find outward physical characteristics that they could use to identify different races. And, of course, we know that it's impossible, that there aren't those kinds of different races that, you know, what separates uh, people, even you know, black from white, is really less than 0.01% of our genetic makeup. It's just ridiculous. So in terms, again, the kinds of people, so we've got Aryans, preferably blonde, blue-eyed. Blonde hair, blue-eyed, the Nordic. Right. Tall, sporty. And then at the bottom, you've got Jews, Jews. but you've also got um, LGBTI, what we would call LGBTI communities. We call yes. disabled communities, um, people with darker skins. Uh, yes. Can you just go through the kinds yeah, of... I mean, the, the victims that the Nazis persecuted uh, because of this racial vision, are, it's really uh, a spectrum of people. I mean, they persecute the Romani population, the gypsy population in Germany, in part because they regard them as having uh, race mixed and created a kind of potent criminal contagion that had to be contained. Right. So, again, you can see they're mixing prejudice, popular prejudice, that somehow the Romani community are thieves. And they're mixing that then with the pseudoscience of race hygiene and saying, well, because of race mixing, of course, they're our biological source of crime. In the Nazi worldview, crime, you're not, you're born into crime. You don't become a criminal for, because of social circumstances. You become a criminal because you're born genetically that way. Inclined genetically inclined to be a criminal. Exactly. Yeah. And similarly, homosexuals are a problem for the Nazis because without their you know, proclivities, they would be acceptable members of the German body politic. They would be members of the Aryan race. Uh, so they're not quite sure whether it's racially determined or there's some other kinds of terror uh, uh, there. So there, the policy is mainly a population policy geared at basically forcing homosexuals back into the closet so they can become husbands and fathers and father children. Right, that's the main goal of the Nazi German state. Kind of create, keep perpetuating the kind of Aryan race. Yeah, because you know the Nazis postulate they need to have soldiers and settlers in order to expand the German population base to become a world power. Dr. Manika, you talk about ethics. Yes. What is, what, as you said, we know Dr. Mengele, for example, who no. conducted experiments and no. there obviously was no ethics at all. It was just a, a sadism that he was torturing people. No, actually people. there was an ethic. It's, really? it's surprising. Yes. <laughs> because you look at the mental gymnastics that some of these medical professionals engaged in, they still talked about in terms of do no harm. Right. But it was twisted into do no harm to the race. Oh. So just as you would cut out a cancer from a body, from an individual patient to help the patient heal, they regard as removing contagion from the body politic of the nation as a healing for the race as a whole. And in terms, so the same kind of so-called ethics that you're describing now yeah. would be across the board, whether it would be somebody within a 
a, a concentration yeah. camp, or whether it would just be your local GP that you would go and visit. Even your local GP. That's the shocking part of this. The local GP would be involved, yes, that would recommend one of his patients for forced sterilization because he saw it as his duty to the nation that he, he felt that this person should be prevented from reproducing because in his eyes, the offspring would be considered unfit. Shocking. Your exhibition. Can yeah. you tell me about it? How do you portray this kind of... Yeah, uh, yes. I mean, that's exactly it. We look at the connection between the Nazi German state on one hand and the power of an authoritarian dictatorial state and then the sort of almost looking at their chops of medical professionals getting in the door to the halls of power and saying, we have an idea about how to shape public health policy. You know, there are even, uh, you know, little um, praises to the Fuhrer saying he is the doctor of the German nation. Because of him, we have this forced sterilization law that will, will, that will fix Germany, that will make Germany strong again. So, you know, it's almost uh, drunk on that kind of access to power that they could do this. These are, they set up hereditary health courts that uh, are where not Nazi ideologues judge people to be fit or unfit, but medical professionals, doctors. So it's always two doctors and one judge, and the two doctors, of course, can outvote the judge very easily. One of the doctors has to be a government doctor, and the other one can be a private physician. And then these courts decided on the forced sterilization of about 400,000 Germans. It's an incredible mass system. The, pr the procedure before these courts took about five minutes, and their motto was, better too many than too few. Mm. The idea being that if they allowed someone who was unfit to reproduce, that would be a worse sin than forcibly sterilizing somebody who was really fit. It's actually unbelievable. Yet, do we still find in today's society this kind of ethics or medical understanding based on some kind of pseudoscience? I'm not sure if it's based on a kind of pseudoscience, but, you know, I think there still is at heart, at the base, a kind of cold, rational cost-benefit analysis about whether it's, it's reasonable to care for the offspring of someone if they're going to be dependent on government services for their whole life. And I think that's where you can see parallels to kind of Nazi thinking, where they're really um, shaped by social Darwinism, that it's better to let the weak fall and not help them, because then you're working counter to nature if you help them. And that's a kind of cold society that I wouldn't want to live in. Are those societies still in existence? There's all those arguments. I mean, even in the United States, I hear those kinds of arguments that the government shouldn't be about supporting the poor because, you know, the poor are going to be the poor. You know, they need inducements to work. So they have to, you know, worry about hunger in order to get them to work. I mean, so an apartheid, obviously, is... Um Science was used to justify racism. Oh yeah, you and that's know. not even that long ago. No, no, and I'm sure within you know racist ideology, we still have that persistent idea that somehow you are defined by your race. Yeah, I mean, in the United States, it's a political cultural construct. Race in the United States is all about color. You're either black or you're white, and it's only about if you look black or you look white. Thank you so much, Dr. Manika, for um, sharing your insights into this really important topic. And um, if anybody would like to see the exhibition, could they do so? It's actually not here in Johannesburg yet. I, I hear it's due here in June, and it'll be here for a substantial period of time, so you'll have opportunity to see it. It's a hard exhibit to see, you know, because you're looking at, in many cases, the mistreatment of children. Yeah. And handicapped, I imagine. And the disabled people, yes, absolutely. And mentally ill, who probably don't necessarily understand what is happening to them. 
Well, that's the surprising thing too, because the more you know, the euthanasia killing program wore on, the more the patients themselves realized what was going on. And there is actually some patients who try to resist being part of that program. And, of course, they're in an asylum, so they're given drugs mm-hmm. so that they can become docile. So we're not talking about you know what the Nazi propaganda image is of these people as useless lumps of flesh. Yeah. These are people with a real joy in life and mm-hmm. an expression of life. Oh, horrific. You know? What is the response to your exhibition? It's been am- amazingly positive. You know, especially because people, tend, again, tend to come to the exhibition thinking they're going to see, you know, about Mengele or Klauberg or Gebhardt, these, you know, Nazi doctors that did horrendous medical experimentation. But then they realized that, you know, it was the broad swath of the German medical profession, which is one of the most advanced in, in the world, in the medical field, and that they became then deeply entrenched in that kind of criminality. It's just, it's just shocking. And the realization that the ethics can turn so quickly – it can be reshaped into a really, I think, you know, a horrendous direction. Well, Dr. Manika, we're going to leave this here. Uh, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you so much. And that was Dr. William J. Manika, who is, was the guest of the Johannesburg Holocaust and Genocide Center.